CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, political junkies in the city of Chicago, you want to have a good time listening to political conversation? I know you do. Then come join Maya and myself for First Tuesdays this, uh, what is the day? November 7th, first Tuesday of month, November 7th, 7 o'clock at Maria's in Bridgeport, 760 West 31st Street. We're going to be talking to Asian-American political power in the city of Chicago. Alderwoman Nicole Lee will be there. Alderwoman Lenny Mana Hoppenworth will be there. Uh, Maya Dukmasa will be there. I will be there. Maybe I get my distinguished guest who's just sitting here waiting to come on the show. Maybe I could talk him into coming there. Uh, anyway, it's November 7th, 7 p.m., Maria's 960 West 31st Street, enlightened political discussion. You'll walk in one way, you'll walk out smarter for having listened and absorbed what we had to say. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for this Thursday, October 19th, begins now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back Chicago Sun-Times reporter, Nader Issa. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. You want to know where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, or you just want to pick up some really cool Chicago Reader merch? Well, you can do all that stuff just by heading to ChicagoReader.com. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, just head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Cynical City Thursday, and here's why. So I'm a little late uh, getting to the microphone today because I went to the uh, dentist. My teeth are clean. I'm feeling really refreshed and very fortunate to have a dental health program political uh, Bernie Sanders uh, comment there. But uh, when I got home, I discovered uh, some distressing news. One um, that I'm just like, why am I not surprised uh, about anything that happens in the city of Chicago? Uh, But it happened in Brighton Park on the southwest side of Chicago in the 12th Ward. Uh, Alderwoman uh, Julia Ramirez, newly elected Alderwoman of the 12th Ward, uh, was besieged by protesters. Kind of like I don't want to say roughed up, you know, I mean, I really want to be accurate in my reporting. One thing I've been talking about with Nader Issa, who's my distinguished guest patiently waiting, is reporters being accurate in the reporting. So I just kind of like she was rushed by the crowd, pushed by the crowd, jostled by the crowd. Uh, Her aides had to come around her, surround her, and police had to come and usher to the car. This is not the way to act, Chicago. You may not have any tolerance whatsoever in your heart. For the Venezuelans who are being bussed up to uh, our city from Texas, you must be, your heart may be filled with hatred and fear and envy and all kinds of twisted little jealousies and rivalries that you don't really know how to articulate other than just yelling at people. But that's not how you deal with it. Oh, we'll push somebody, go shove somebody. That's how big tough guy you are. What, a, what an embarrassment. And what an embarrassment just across the front that this is coming from Hispanic residents yelling out in Spanish. 
You know, we don't want him. It's like MAGA rally. It was like a MAGA rally in Brighton Park in the 12th Ward. And I was like, I'm now I've seen it across the board. Black communities, white communities, Hispanic communities. The only thing that unites Chicago is hate. Hate and cynicism, man. Immediately the left, uh, working party's family kicked out a, a tweet that said, well, this was engineered by uh, George Carlin. I don't know if that's the case. That was their claim, 12th Ward Alderman. But it's just such a cynical city. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's positioning and moving and maneuvering like to try to get ahead of the game. I don't know what, if who believes in anything anymore uh, in the city of Chicago. And what's so embarrassing <laughs> on top of it all is that St. Louis, St. Louis is like a city of enlightenment compared to the city of Chicago. There was an article, uh, in, well, it was in the bright one today in the Chicago Sometimes, that's where I read it. Uh, about how St. Louis is saying to the Chicago, there are people in St. Louis, citizens in St. Louis, saying to Chicago, oh, we'll take the Venezuelan immigrants that you don't want because we need residents in our city. Like, <laughs> St. Louis is in MAGA state of Missouri. They're more enlightened and civilized and tolerant than Chicago is. I don't know anybody, I don't know anyone in Chicago except for a few lefties like myself who say, yeah, we want, we want immigrants to come to our city. We lost, I can't remember how many people have, have left Chicago over the last 20 years. We need people in the city of Chicago. I'm going to be talking to Nader Issa a little while about the public schools of Chicago and enrollment in the Chicago public schools and how maybe an influx of immigrants may bolster Chicago public school enrollment and how that actually will lead to more money for the Chicago. People in Chicago are so clueless. They don't realize that more people in the school will bring more money to the school and that they go, we don't want these people because what? They look different than you. They talk different than you. I, I, I can't figure it out. It's like hate is embedded in the brains of so many people in the city of Chicago. Like I said, it crosses, apparently crosses all racial and ethnic bounds. Chicago, you're better than that. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring my distinguished guest who's very patiently sitting through that rant going, Ben, Ben, you got to calm down. Uh, Nader Issa is his name, outstanding beat reporter uh, covering the uh, school beat for the, my beloved bright one home delivery every day the chicago sun times welcome back to my show nader thanks for having me it, it feels good to be introduced as distinguished three times um for i'm right on so i appreciate that i throw that word around a lot with my guests because i don't pay him to come on so i gotta give him distinguished yeah, <laughs> this than... one... yeah. all right you heard my opening comments i'm gonna call my rant i would call it enlightened uh thought I'm not asking you to comment on what's in the hearts and minds of Chicagoans uh, when they show up and, and protest like that uh, against Venezuelan immigrants. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I am going to ask you to help explain to the good people of the city of Chicago how enrollment and funding works in the Chicago public schools. So we'll just start with that. It was kind of like a state of the schools thing I was going to do with Nader. Uh, but we'll start with funding and enrollment. And so maybe the good people of the city of Chicago will realize that there's actually a benefit. Not that you shouldn't just do it because it's the right thing to do, but there's actually a benefit to bringing new people into our city. So, Nader, take it away. Yeah, I think to sort of set a baseline for people, and I'm sure people listening to your show, they've, they've heard this a ton, they know this, that Chicago public schools enrollment has fallen for over a decade it was over 400,000 students. Um, it's now just around 320,000. 
And I mean, it's fallen so much that Chicago is the third largest city in the country, but CPS is no longer the third largest public school system in the country. It's now fourth. That happened last year. And it's sort of been this spiral. We, we've heard all the reasons. I, I won't get into all of it why people have left the city, especially Black residents have left the city. And it sort of mirrors the loss of students at CPS. What has happened this fall for the first time in over a decade is that enrollment stabilized. And I don't think anyone, I mean, anyone working for the district and the mayor's office, uh, us following it, researchers thought it was possible that enrollment would stabilize uh, this year or anytime soon. It's it's sort of always been a downward trajectory. And even, even the district's projections this fall after it stabilized, they're still saying CPS enrollment is going to continue falling at least the next three years. The best case scenario in their view is that it stays the same. And so there are there are some different reasons why it stabilized. There, there's definitely an increase in parents sending their kids to preschool at CPS. The district has, and the city, they've tried to uh, sort of create more preschool seats, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, uh, half day, full day. And there's two new centers that opened up, up in Lincoln Park and up in Jefferson Park. We can talk about those another time. Um, because those obviously are, are serving a particular set of Chicagoans and uh, their, their demographics of those two centers are not similar to the rest of CPS. But there's that. There's also, it seems, an increase in children in special ed. Um, but it, I mean, it, it's undeniable. There's like five, 6,000 kids, it, uh, it appears in the data, um, who are English language learners more than like a bigger increase than there have been in previous years. And CPS, I, for whatever reason, they've tried to downplay it a little bit and say it's not just because of these migrants that our enrollment has stabilized. But it's, I mean, it's undeniably part of the reason. And you have some schools with so many students and they're overflowing. And it's, it's, quite a bit of a contrast with the schools that we've heard about over the past decade that are, I don't know, 20% full and just like empty classrooms. Um, so it's, it's, there's, there's definitely been a change and you asked about funding, not to keep going on and on, but the way that funding works, school funding works in the city, um, a little bit, the state also a little bit, the federal level, like, the more students you have, the more money you're going to have. Now, there's been different varieties of how that money's allocated, which schools it goes to based on need, based on poverty, based on homelessness, special ed, the, the number of special ed students, all of that. But generally speaking, if you have more students, it's probably going to mean more money. And especially with the migrants that are coming to Chicago from the southern border, I mean, we see like the mayor's office, they're, they're creating this tent city that you talked about, that there are protests uh, about. We still see migrants living at the airport or at, at uh, police stations, different shelters. They might be doubled up with another family. All of those people are considered unhoused. And that also triggers additional funding for schools because those students have additional needs. Um, so, it is. It, the, 
the sort of stabilization of enrollment, the new students coming in, that has the potential to bring in more money. And it's, it's sort of, I mean, a lifeline that just fell right in front of CPS if they can keep these students here uh, that wasn't available, wasn't something anyone had predicted. All right. Uh, so you gave me a lot to respond to. I'm going to respond to uh, something you said early on. For whatever reason, uh, the uh, the people who run CPS are sort of downplaying the significance of the immigrants, the new immigrants on enrollment trends. Um, I began this show uh, by r- ranting against the cynical attitude in the city of Chicago that persists, that people try to take advantage in some cases, a politician try to take advantage of hate in order to build their base, and other politicians try to put the, the uh, uh, they try to walk away from like the hatred that people have by blaming it on politicians. So, I'm going to really try not to be cynical here and jaded. My sense is that the reason uh, the people who run the Chicago public schools are downplaying the significance of the new migrants is because they don't want to be in a position of looking like they're endorsing the busing of migrants to Chicago. They don't want to look as though they're saying this is a good thing for Chicago. They want somebody like me to be the only guy in Chicago saying that. And this is, it's like not a politically safe statement to make. Uh, do you think there's any validity uh, to what I just said, or do you think I'm just a jaded, cynical, old reporter in the city of Chicago? Go. I think there's some validity, and I think it's a bit of a nuanced subject, just like all of this, like the whole backlash we're seeing. In some communities, obviously, it's xenophobia, it's fear, racism. And I think with CPS, for example, we did this project, it published in May, like May through June over the course of a month about the 50 school closings uh, in 2013. And little plug there, go Google it. Chicago sometimes, 50 school closings. It was uh, us and WBEZ. And I mean, you see the hurt. And this is this is 10 years ago. I mean, there are kids whose schools closed, whose elementary schools closed. A lot of them are still here in, at CPS in high school. So it's it's like a very recent history, not to mention all of the other things that have happened with funding, um, with like the loss of a lot of black educators. There's a lot of hurt, especially in black communities. And this feeling that there aren't any resources for us. The city has never given us any resources. And I think if CPS were to embrace it and say, we've got all these new students, we want to give them these resources to help them thrive, it's gonna be the same thing as communities that are, especially black communities who are saying, what about us? I mean, like we, we saw this play uh, play out at, at Wadsworth, this elementary school down in, in Woodlawn where the city wanted to put migrants in there and, and use this closed elementary school as a shelter for migrants. And they did. And the older woman, Jeanette Taylor, uh, down there, um, her community, they were upset about it. And it was like, well, you guys closed this elementary school on us. And when we did this project, we went, we visited 
46 school buildings across the city. It's a long story why it was 46, even though 50 schools uh, closed. But we visited 46 school buildings, and this school is like this huge, broad campus. It's it's really big. It's a beautiful building, completely abandoned. Nothing's going on inside. You look across the street, and there's this brand new, shiny University of Chicago charter school building. And I mean, people in the community there are like, well, we used to send our kids there. We used to walk two blocks down, drop our kids off at school, go home. And it's been empty for, for however many years. Now, there was a charter school in there that uh, it, it was operating in that building for a few years, and then it moved to the new one, the U Chicago one. But, but the Chicago public schools, public school closed and, and the building was empty. So then it's like, well, how, how can we use this resource that you took away from us to give it to these people that, that are newly arrived? And I think that's a lot of the same backlash that people at CPS will be feeling if they feel that so much is being dedicated to helping new, newly arrived families. Um, I don't, I don't know that it's a fair thought because these families are suffering too, and they're coming to Chicago with hope of a better life, with hope of safety, stability, jobs, and education for their kids. And obviously, I mean, no one wants to see any immigrants, asylum seekers, anything treated poorly, especially by a city that we call our own. And that's why some of these communities are pushing back. Uh, again, not every community, some of it might just be straight xenophobia, but there there are reasons, I think, why CPS might be downplaying it. Wow, that's a great answer, and you're probably right. You're probably absolutely right. And I, I just want to give a shout out to that series. We had Alvin Lowry on uh, to talk about uh, that series, that deep dive uh, that the Bright One and WBZ took on closing the 50 schools, Laura Fitzpatrick, uh, Nader Issa, uh, uh, Alden Lowry, and the great Sarah Karp. Uh, I, those are the four reporters that come to my mind later. If I forgot anybody, I apologize. Uh, as an aside, politically speaking, my favorite part of the series, as an aside, okay, this is just as a political aside, okay, was the part Mayor Rahm would not respond or comment. <laughs> you called Mayor Rahm, he, okay, uh, excuse me, I'm, I apologize, Ambassador Rahm in, in, in Japan right now, he could not be reached for comment. That same week in the bright one, he was available for comment to talk about that cockamamie deal he cooked up with the University of Chicago. Who knows? They still can't even explain what the hell the lab is. They got built at the University of Chicago. He's like, this is a very important lab. I have absolutely no idea what they're going to do in it. But trust me when I tell you, it's very important. And everybody acted like it was such a big deal for the city of Chicago. He was available for that quote. But somehow, Nader, unbelievable. He could not be just found to comment on the 50 schools. Am I being too silly? Go. I'm a time zone mix up. Who knows? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He, I mean, the, a, a few days before our first uh, uh, stories in that series published, the Washington Post also ran a profile of him as an ambassador and like what he ate, eats for breakfast and the way he, the way he uh, sort of meets with people and is on social media. Um, and yeah, I, I know the reporter who wrote that. She's a really good reporter. She's uh, she's out there in in uh, Japan for the Washington Post. Um, but it, it's just interesting what 
the former mayor and the current ambassador is willing to respond to comments. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I had a grapefruit for breakfast the other day. Uh, what about those 50 schools? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. My phone is breaking up. So, but it, the point is, it was the impact of closing those schools was so strong. I mean, it hurt the hardest, the communities where the schools were closed. Uh, and and then there's just the, like, the willful disregard that the city had for those buildings in the aftermath and uh, those communities in the aftermath having promised, and this is all in the Sun-Times BEZ uh, series, ladies and gentlemen, having promised that by closing schools, there would be more money available to offer even more programs and more benefits for kids in those neighborhoods. And then they didn't do anything with those schools. They mothballed those school buildings. It's, man, I think cynicism really is the theme of today's show, Nader. It was such a cynical act. And now Rom's gone. Okay, and his little cheerleaders were gone. Bruce Rauner is no longer here. The governor, he's in Florida. Kenny G is no longer here. He's in Florida. And so the little crew that helped, like, cheered Ram on while he closed those schools, they're all gone. But here in Chicago, we're paying the price for it. Yeah, and I think I think that's something you sort of um, you sort of saw in our reporting too. A lot of these decisions that are made in cities and city government, local governments. I mean, you could also say federal governments, although I think uh, I think there might be a little bit more of connective tissue there. In local government, these types of big lasting decisions are made. And then these promises like, okay, Rom's gone. The CPS has had, I think, seven different CEOs since then. Who's Who's keeping track of this stuff? And maybe maybe it was six. Um, but you sort of realized, oh, no one's keeping track of this. It was it was a decision that was made. Promises were made. And then these people disappeared. But, you know, who didn't disappear is the kids who are in the schools and the parents who are sending their kids to the schools. Although, yeah, some of them did disappear because they said, I, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And they left the city. And it is just tough to be making those types of decisions, those consequential city altering decisions when no one who makes those decisions has to stay and be accountable later. And I mean, we we talked to the current CPS CEO, Pedro Martinez. He was here under Arnie Duncan in the early 2000s. He went to Nevada, he went to Texas, he went and worked in different places. He came back, I think it was September 2021 now. It's been about two years. And I mean, what, what what's he spoke like? We can't even we can't even try to hold him accountable because it's like, well, this happened eight years before I was hired here. I don't, I don't, I mean, so, some of the people we talked to, they're like, oh, I didn't know that XYZ school was labeled a welcoming school where it accepted kids that were displaced because their school closed. Like some of these things that were talked about and promised don't exist in the universe of knowledge and language that people are using now. Mm-hmm. And it's a little shocking to see. It's it it's maybe maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but it's it's shocking to see that some of these things can fall off the radar so quickly. And meanwhile, it's just I mean, the kids are still going to school, the parents are still sending them, and they're still dealing with the same lack of resources. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, uh, I, wait, now, uh, the, the geek in me can't move on. Are you sure there have been six uh, CEOs since Rom left? I can only think of two. Or are Maybe you not, counting interims? But but I have to go back and, and count them all. There's Triple B. Who went, went to, to prison. Right. Um, or maybe it was six. Oh, since- so you're doing since the schools closed. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Triple B closed the school. She was the face for closing the schools. She later uh, went, went to prison for... That's correct. So, um, obviously, more recently, Janice Jackson. Um, after uh, Triple B, there was... Um, you can do this. Come on, I got it. I, I, I'm, I'm projecting his name to you. There's Forrest Claypool. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the infamous Forrest Claypool. Uh, and then there were a couple interim CEOs okay. too. So, and then, and then Pedro Martinez is the sixth. Fair enough. I don't count the interims, but fair enough. Uh, so, uh, all right. Um, move on to another topic that's on my mind. Get your thoughts about how it impacts the public schools. And I should bring you on more often because there's so much school stuff we could talk about. Elected school board down the road. The principals have a union. I mean, what impact? I guess that blows my mind, uh, Nader, that the principals have a union and that's going to have an impact. Uh, and a collective bargaining contract negotiations between CTU uh, and the city, their, their former employee, Brandon Johnson. That That's interesting in and of itself. Um, but this is on my mind today. So when I told you I was at the dentist I'm, and I'm right down the street from where the, my dentist is, is a, a private school, a French language school. Love French, so no problem, no hate about French. Just that's not where I'm going with this. Uh, it's a private school, though, uh, and uh, it's a, from the appearance of it, it's got a significant amount of money. It's got a beautiful building and a lovely soccer field in the back. So God bless them. Uh, all surrounding the building, uh, however, were signs that say "Save Our Scholarships," and I go, "You got to be kidding me, man!" And so I looked it up just to make sure, and sure enough. Uh, Save Our Scholarships is part of the campaign to keep alive a program that gives a tax credit uh, to wealthy people. Generally, it is wealthy people can only afford to do this, who contribute to a scholarship fund that is intended uh, to help poor kids get into schools, private schools uh, or parochial schools. They're private, too, uh, like this French language school uh, and helps them pay their tuition. And it's a tax credit, ladies and gentlemen, of like. 75 cents on the dollars you contribute ten thousand dollars you get seven thousand five hundred dollars back and then i gotta tell you i just paid my state tax bill that was like you gotta be kidding me some rich plutocrat in the state of illinois like or it's just getting i don't know seven thousand five hundred whatever it is whatever the max is you can kick in i can't think of it at the moment back and i'm kicking in really really irritated me uh and um when i went to the website they said this is helps poor black and brown children go to these schools okay so my my first question is why is it that the only way we can get the people to help poor children who are black and brown is to make sure that a rich guy gets a tax break a rich guy how can we have to pay off rich guys before the state does anything to help poor why can't the rich guys just pay for the scholarships it's like they don't need the tax credit. Kenny G doesn't need the tax credit. He can, get, he can pay for every scholarship that French school has. Yeah, I know he's got the money. Bruce Rauner's got the money. J.B. Pritzker's got the money. Okay, help me here, Nato. Nato, why is it that we they always use 
poor kids as a front on something that benefits rich people? That's a tough question I know to throw at you, a, a beat reporter on education. But th- I'm in really struggling with this. Uh, go ahead. Well, I, I think it probably sounds better than to say the the rich white guy <laughs> needs money. So, um, but I, it, it's it's it, it's a complicated issue with a lot of thoughts. I think I think there are a lot of private schools that have benefactors and have funders and people who run them who who can just fund them. I mean, they have the money; they can just fund them. I think there are some other private schools, Catholic schools that are going broke and they don't have money and they can't offer those scholarships on their own. Now, that's that's one thing. But I mean, you would think there might be some Catholic billionaire or someone who could help the church to to fund scholarships if uh, if they wanted to. But there's also a lot of Catholic schools that I mean, they don't really charge that much uh, tuition anyway. Other than that, I mean, like the the advocates for public education who are who are fighting the voucher program because i mean that's where it is it's it's illinois uh voucher program i mean they make the point that why would public dollars go to a private entity we we already have that with charter schools um charters are privately run but they're publicly funded and some of them have donations and and different funders too uh but why should public dollars not all be used for public education that anyone can attend? And I mean, there would be some who would go further and just say public, uh, excuse me, private schools shouldn't exist. Um, and and public schools should be the way that, that all kids learn so that all the money goes there and all the tax base goes there and everything. But yeah, it's... Um, it's 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 an issue that is polarizing and it's uh a lot of people who have stakes in private schools are concerned um and i mean we've also seen it bubble up and boil over with stacy davis gates and her kids and we saw stories about that and a lot of opinions about that oh yeah no sdg show stacy davis gates and uh I told her, uh, if I see you become an advocate uh, for this uh, invest in my kid program, I'm really <laughs> give you out, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I could relitigate the SDG's decision to send her child to a, a private school uh, all day, but the the one step beyond that, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden I see uh, Stacy Davis Gates doing a commercial high. I think you should contribute to this money. I'm like, no. She hasn't done that, ladies and gentlemen. All right, she hasn't done that. Stacey Davis Gates hasn't done that. She hasn't been so overwhelmed with love for uh, private schools that she's done that. Yeah, but we're watching. Stacey Nader, not watch. Uh, all right, uh, very good. Uh, well, let's before we leave the schools, uh, talk a little bit about uh, the politics of the schools right now. We're in our last year or two. Help me out on this one. I've lost track of time of a appointed school board, uh, and we're going to uh, evolve to. An elected school board. So, why don't you give folks at the timeline and sort of, you know, look in your crystal ball and, and anticipate the dynamics at play here and what changes uh, may occur uh, when the official transformation happens. 
So right now, CPS and the Chicago Board of Education, it's it's had a seven-member board. Um, for the longest time, it's it's been appointed by the mayor. Uh, the past about 20, 30 years since the 90s, uh, seven-member board, always appointed by the mayor, and that sort of gives the mayor control over everything having to do with the schools. The mayor can appoint their own board members uh, who they think will execute their vision for the schools. And ultimately they have say over what happens at CPS. That's changing after uh, after all that uh, lobbying for an elected school board. The first elections are next, next uh, general election in a year. Wow. So people on the ballot, they'll see elections for Chicago school board. There'll be 10 seats up for election. Um, and the board's moving to a 21 member board. And so you can do the math, 10 seats, 21 members for the first little bit, it's still going to be majority appointed by the mayor. That board, the 21 member board will be seated in January, 2025. So just a little over a year from now. And then two years later in November, 2026, with the midterm elections, people will be able to vote for the remaining 11 seats. And so at that point, January, 2027, the other 11 elected seats will be filled and, and uh, seated. And so you'll have a fully elected school board. It's by far the largest school board in the country that I've seen. It, particularly for a major uh, school system. I think the most I'd seen is nine. Uh, when I was writing about this a couple of years ago when this legislation was coming up. And yeah, I, it, it's, I, I don't, I'm not sure people are exactly prepared for what's, for what's coming. It's essentially going to be a city council 2.0. There are going to be 21 new elected officials in Chicago because we, we and this isn't a comment on on the sort of validity of an elected board, but it's just joke. I mean, it, I don't think people needed more politicians in Chicago. But uh, yeah, the, the whole idea of it, of course, is elected representation, democratic representation, parents having a chance to run and have a say in their, uh, their school system. Um, so... Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. I don't know exactly how the dynamics change other than there's going to be a lot more people, but something to keep an eye out uh, for is in LA, their school board elections are basically charter private school interests versus teachers union. And they spend millions and millions, millions on these races. It's unbelievable the money that goes into these school board races and it, like that that's basically how you sort of calculate who's on the board is this a charter person is this a teachers union person and i wonder so charter interests have sort of been kicked back out of chicago um charter schools haven't grown we see their enrollment dropping there haven't been any new ones uh opened and you sort of wonder if this is a door for charter interests to get back into chicago um, obviously we saw charter interests like Betsy DeVos and her crew giving a lot of money to Paul Vallis in the last election. And so you wonder, you wonder if they saw 
ballots as an opportunity to get back in and if, if school board elections will be a way to. Uh, in my interpretation of the retreat of charter schools uh, is that they're, uh, they no longer serve the interests of the Kenny G's and the Bruce Rauners of the world. They have a better toy. Uh, if, if your intention, this is me speaking, not Nader, if your intention is defund government and destroy uh, teachers union, which I believe is their political intention, uh, then there are better ways to do it than charter schools, which whose employees can be unionized uh, and in many cases are unionized in a way I think is to have a scholarship program like the one I was talking about where you get to go to, uh, you know, private schools uh, that aren't unionized. So I guess they've moved on. And this is me speaking in my humble opinion. That's why we've seen a bit of retreat. It will really be interesting if you get a new school board member, uh, Nader elected who, uh, says, you know what, I support this scholarship program, even though it's going to deprive schools of money. Then you know, elected school board mm, hasn't quite worked out the way uh, Lewis, see you, Karen, uh, would have liked it when she advocated for it. Um, all right, we're going to close down. We're going to shift gears dramatically. Uh, people may not know this. Uh, Nader is a big sports fan, as am I, and pretty much uh, every sports fan that comes on the show gets uh, one question. But because it's the start of the bull season, real soon you're going to get a second question. See the hat, Bulls fan. Uh, so let's start with the Bulls question first. Uh, Nader, uh, I have a friend who will remain anonymous. I'll just tell you that his first name is Moise and his last name is Bolani. Oh, wait, I just gave away his anonymity. I apologize, Moise. Um, so this guy claims to be a Chicago Bulls fan, uh, but he is now openly advocating for the Phoenix Suns because he thinks the Bulls are bad. So he's just classic Chicago and just doing the front runner thing, abandoning his city. Um, do you think uh, that Moise, uh, I'm sorry, this un, uh, unidentified friend of mine, this anonymous friend of mine, uh, is uh, correct when he says that there's no future uh, for the Chicago Bulls and that anybody who roots for the Chicago Bulls is a sucker and a sap? Well, no future is a big, a big statement because when we say no future, um, are we talking 10, 15, 20 years? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think, I think in 2050, they could have a chance to be competitive, but <laughs> probably not until Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't own the team anymore. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see them contending anytime soon unless they make some major moves. So. I, I'll say this, I think you should not be supporting people who start rooting for other teams because you're abandoning the city and you're abandoning our, our, uh, our, our teams. And I just can't get myself to root for a team like the Suns of all teams. I mean, if you're going to pick someone else, my God, pick, I don't know. Pick pick a little bit of an underdog. You like Luca uh, uh, Doncic? Pick the Mavs. Pick. I was gonna say John Morant. I don't know if people want to follow uh, root for him so much, but yeah, some someone exciting, someone young, some underdog. You're picking Devin <laughs> and KD and Bradley Beal and Bre right Bradley Beal now too. So. Yeah, I know. It's pathetic. Uh, it reminds me of all the kids I knew uh, when I was coaching back in the uh, early O's who were just on the Laker bandwagon because they love Kobe. It was so 
they, they live in Chicago. Go to Chicago. Yes. I mean, I, I guess Kevin Durant, like, obviously he's great. He's he's an all-time great, I would say. But he, I mean, Kobe just had, there was, like, he had an aura, an aura. He had, like, something to be excited about. It, it was Kobe. The, the Phoenix Suns don't have something like that. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, the old, I mean, he <laughs> wants to be Kobe. I, he's not Kobe. Um, so I don't know. I also just have to say, I wish people could see your great Bulls hat that you're wearing right on topic. Love it. Uh, and wonder where it's from. Oh, okay. Well, I am a diehard Bulls fan. Uh, thank you for asking that question. Nobody's ever asked me that question. All these, I've been wearing this hat. I, I change my hat like once a month. Um, I have close to 20 Bulls hats, Nader. It's a cry for help. I'm like, I collect Bulls hats. Uh, the way some people collect sneakers or gym shoes. Um, so uh, I go to hat night a lot with the Bulls. So I'm going to give a promotion, a shout out for the Bulls. I'd like they need it. But six times a year they have hat night and they uh, local artists design the hats. And they are super, in my opinion, cool hats. So when I go to visit my family in Cali, like people stop me on the street. They go, where'd you get that hat? They're not Bulls fans. They like the hat. It's the only thing I've ever done that's remotely cool in my entire life. I get stopped in the street, Nader. And uh, so if you go to Bulls Night, I'll send you a – I'll text you the nights. Uh, and, if like, if you want to go that night. But get there early. I'm not making this up, Nader. They only give, like, 10000 away. And They're going right people away. line up. What, you got to get there at 530. You want the hat or 545 because people line up. They want those hats. <laughs> You know, so, it, it's so it, – it's not just the Bulls, but all Chicago sport. Like, I'll go to a Cubs game, and there's some bobblehead giveaway. And I'll get there 15 minutes after gates open, and they're like, oh, sorry, we ran out. I'm like, how are there 10,000 people here already? <laughs> no. where, 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 did they, like, get off work early? Did, how did they get here to the United yeah. Center be so soon? So. No, they line up, man. You On hat night, you see the line on Madison going out the door. Oh, my God. But you know who won't have to worry about that? Moise Bawani. He can go wear his little Phoenix Sun hat, okay? Oh, lines for the Suns hats, yeah. yeah They've they got all in stock. None of them sold. You'll <laughs> be able to get as many as you want. Oh, God, that's pathetic. All right, final question before I let you go. Now, this is the question we've been, everyone gets. Should the Bears give up on Justin Fields, or, uh, or should they say no? Uh, he is our quarterback for the future, and we're not going to draft a quarterback in the uh, 2024 draft. I feel very strongly about this one, and I do not think they should give up on him. I don't think I don't think he's been supported with coaching and an offensive line and weapons the way he should be as a young quarterback. I also don't think that uh he i don't think he has faults in his passing game that can't be fixed obviously like you can't place all the blame on coaching and the line and receivers but i haven't seen sort of irreparable traits in justin fields as a quarterback and i i keep thinking back to lamar jackson too i um just because obviously he's he's another elite running quarterback and when he came into the league, he had, I mean, you, you hear the, the stereotypes about black quarterbacks too, and about running quarterbacks and this guy can't throw this guy, they should change his position. He can't be a pocket passer. 
and you look at what the Ravens, a really competent organization, did, they developed an offense around his strengths. They got him running. They got him moving. They got him throwing out of the pocket. They let him use his strengths and run the ball while giving him time to develop his his passing game. You watch a Ravens game today. He's been in the league, what, four four years now, five years now? I mean, he's in the pocket most of the game, and he's throwing darts down the field because that's what you do. You play to a player's strengths, especially a quarterback. You play to their strengths, and you let them develop the passing game that you want. You don't just shoehorn someone into something they're not and expect them to, to do well. And it's it's been really frustrating the past three weeks watching the Bears' offense because against – Denver, it started to change. They started having some rollouts, some more design quarterback runs, and you saw how good they were in the first half before they collapsed. Against Washington, it, it, they exploded with, with uh, rollouts, with play action, with design runs, just being more creative, getting uh, fields out of the pocket. And then you go to the next week, and it disappeared. It's just it's just all gone against the Vikings. They yeah. they weren't they weren't rolling them out of the pocket. Nothing, and you just wonder how how is it possible that you are not playing to his strengths three years into his career? Uh, wow, man, well put. Uh, and I guess as we close, the key phrase in your riff was the Ravens, a competent organization. Uh, and in contrast to the Chicago Bears, who are so freaking clueless uh, that I think I'm almost at the point where Bear fans are. You know, I, I ranted and railed about the Bears taking Trubisky over Mahomes. I, I love Patrick Mahomes. I, think, I just think he's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, actually. And, uh, yeah, Tom Brady. I, I, yeah, Tom Brady fans. Uh, but then Bear fans always go, Ben, if, if the Bears drafted Mahomes, he'd be a wreck. He'd be he'd be Mitch Trubisky, and and I, I still don't completely buy that because I think he's so talented he might have the ability to overcome the Chicago Bears' incompetence. But I don't know with each passing day, my belief in that is uh, weakening. All right, Nader, uh, thank you so much for taking time to uh, come on my show. I just want to say something about Nader. He may be the only person who stays up as late as I do. I got a text from him last night about one in the morning. I go, man, this dude doesn't sleep either. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, and you do a great job covering schools. I'll bring you back more frequently because I don't think I've given enough attention to Chicago public schools, so we'll just have to have this conversation more often. You up for that? Yeah, of course. Anytime. All right, that's Nader Issa. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. I think Nader will do with me when I say, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Another Benny J show in the books. If you want to catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, columns from Ben Jarofsky, or any other great Chicago reader writer, all you have to do is head to chicagoreader.com. If you want to follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram, it's at Benny J show on Instagram. And please like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.